welcome to Restart Radio. This is a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on the shiny, shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behaviour towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronics repair events here in London are just the beginning. My name is Lauren from the Restart Project, and I'll be your host today. And I'm here with Panda Mary and Dave Lukes. And uh, Panda is a Restart volunteer and the director of an organization run by and for autistic people. Hi, Panda. Hi, Lauren. <laughs> and Dave is also a longtime Restart volunteer and works in IT. Hi, Dave. Hi. Um, so today is World Mental Health Day. And we thought we'd take a look at the connections between repair and individual and collective well-being. Um, so just first up, a quick disclaimer, we're not suggesting that repair should stand in as a substitute for seeking professional help and don't pretend to make any sort of clinical claims about benefits. Um, but we're looking more at ways in which it makes us all happier by making our communities more cohesive. Uh, we'll also be talking a bit about neurodiversity, which is relevant to discussions about mental health insofar as neurodivergent people are statistically more likely to suffer mental health symptoms than neurotypicals. Uh, this doesn't have to be the case, and we'll be discussing some of the ways that community events can be made more inclusive to a wide range of people. Um, so on the weekend, we held uh, the very first International Fix Fest which was really amazing, and all three of us were there. Um, it was a sort of weekend of talks, workshops, uh, skill shares, that kind of thing. And we wanted to say thanks again for everyone who attended and made it such an incredible weekend, and also thanks to everyone who helped out, our amazing group of volunteers, including these two. <laughs> um, and we've got photos and more news from FixFest coming in over the coming, coming weeks, so keep your eyes uh, peeled and have a look at our website. Um, and as part of FixFest, uh, we actually held a session on neurodi neurodiversity and repair. So, um, Panda, do you want to explain a bit about some of the insights that came out of that one? Uh, I mean, we 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 looked at uh, we had a discussion uh, about how repair can help uh, and how repair is useful. And one of the themes that came out of that is uh, that it's an occasion that is to go out of uh, one's flat and to have a common theme uh, to which to interact with people which might make it easier uh, and possibly even make friends uh, out of it. I think you've got a story about that from one of the participants. Yeah, so what, we were really lucky that Martin uh, Postma from the Amsterdam Repair Cafe joined us for one of the sessions and she was talking about a repairer who was a really lonely guy, sort of had trouble making friends um, and he was quite nervous coming to her repair events at first. Uh, and felt, you know, pretty isolated and then came to one and found that as soon as he was repairing something and had something in his hands, he was much more able to talk to people, um, kind of using that as like a starter for conversations. And he really got into the repair cafes and started volunteering at about seven of them. And I think also met his future wife, did she say? But Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, and Dave, you had a similar story, actually, didn't you? Well, yeah, I got into repair through bike repair. Um, there's a wonderful community bike repair project down in Kennington, near where I used to live. And at the time, I was fairly introverted, spent a lot of time sitting at home, staring at the walls. And 
one of the things about community repair events is if you've got a common purpose then you don't need to be social off the off the front so to speak you can just turn up there do what you do and you will become sociable almost mm. you can't help it it's just such an interesting thing you're doing you end up talking to people about it then you talk about your problems and their problems and whatever and why they're there why you're there so it's a very subtle and interesting way of, inclu of increasing social connectivity social inclusivity yeah you, you can bypass all the small talk and go straight about the topic that is of interest shared or shared interest by all the people there mm -hmm. yeah. and then through that you can then get back to the small talk and all the other stuff that you need <laughs> you <know? laughs> or, or just skip the small talk altogether <laughs> if that's what you want to do yeah um so another thing that kind of came up in these discussions at fix fest were how we can make these repair events more inclusive for a wide range of people so whether that's people who suffer from mental health issues or people, neurodivergent people who maybe have kind of different challenges to other people. Um, and Martine was saying that she's developed a sort of guide to hosting restart parties or sorry, repair cafes specifically for autistic people. And I think Panda, you had a couple of things to say about that. It's just—it's only in Dutch, is that correct? It's only in Dutch, and it's—and it's not specific about autistic people. I think it's in general for people with disabilities, mm -hmm. disabled people. Uh, and I mean, I don't read Dutch, so I'm not sure exactly the content. <laughs> but uh, uh, Martin was saying that it's uh, the focus was very much on on making uh, other uh, uh, fixers and hosts kind of aware. Uh, of the possible needs of the uh, people, disabled people that would uh, participate to these events. Right. And there was some, I remember one thing we talked about is uh, there are some, the, I think one of the things that makes it important to have maybe a specific repair cafe for a specific group of people is that there are some things that are a challenge for some people and then for others are really helpful. So I remember, was it... Um, uh, someone who was hosting repair cafes in California said that their their idea of a successful repair cafe was one in which everyone sort of grouped very closely together and was sort of all around the same table looking in on something. And uh, Panda, you were saying that that actually can be quite stressful for other people, that, that situation of extreme closeness around an object. Yeah, that, that was Peter Murray in his uh, from okay, a, from yeah. Fix It Clinic uh, in his session. And, uh, and yeah, I think that's... Uh, a personal space can be an issue, and so uh, if you don't have uh, uh, any space around you uh, and everyone is touching your arms or thing, that uh, that can be an issue. I mean, it's kind of the environmental uh, aspect uh, of the rooms. You know, uh, if you're sitting next to uh, someone uh, uh, repairing furniture and banging uh, uh, banging on it, or at a restart party, uh, um, someone successfully repairing a Hoover. Uh, that's uh, that. This can be quite noisy and noisy and distressing. Mm. And what are some of the ways in which repair cafes um, uh, do you th do you think can sort of I don't know adapt the situation or or change the sort of environmental factors to make them more inclusive? Um, I mean, I mean, one way I think is to uh, is to work on the space, and uh, and some ideas were were used. I mean, in in Fixfest, for instance, you know, to to make sure that uh, that the space is accessible in many ways. So, for instance, having photographs of uh, of where of the location where it is, so it's easy to identify. Uh, Fixfest had a, a quiet room, uh, 
uh, that's not really suitable for a restart event, which usually is in one room. But you know, having the possibility that <coughs> if it's too much, uh, then you can't go in a quiet space for five minutes, ten minutes, uh, get away from all the all the hubbubs, and possibly, you know, separating the uh, the noisy repairs uh, uh, from the quiet one. I mean, uh, to follow up on, on, on what you mentioned about the session uh, by Peter Murray, he also suggested that he, that he, that he finds in the US, maybe it's American culture also versus other culture, but that's uh, all, uh, all newcomers should be uh, loudly introduced, uh, their name and the name of the, de of, and the device that they were bringing. And then every fix should be celebrated with a, a bell or a horn or uh, sort of all, all very noisy. Mm. Uh, which uh, which might not be the best approach, uh, effectively, if you've got uh, uh, people with sensitivity to noise, for instance, in a room. Yeah, that's a good mm. point. And um, we made sure, yeah, we had a quiet room at mm. FixFest mm. so that people could sort of retreat from the noise if they felt the need. Um, and Dave, you've had a lot of experience attending sort of restart parties and similar events over the years. Do you think that, I mean, have you seen them kind of forging bonds that maybe wouldn't have existed otherwise between people? Have you seen it contributing to the cohesion of a community? Oh, very much so, yeah. Um, not only from the point of view of the repairer, but also people who bring things. Um, for instance, classic example is you get people of a certain age who have maybe their favourite old radio, which is giving up on them, and they really don't feel like buying new radio, either for cost reasons or sentimentality. So if you, fit, if you help them to repair that, suddenly there's this whole thing where their life has been enhanced in what may to you seem an inconsequential way, but to them it's a big deal. You know, this may be the radio their father gave them or something like that. If you can fix something like that that is a key part of someone's life, then they become happier, they become a better person. And, of course, there's this shared joy of doing that. You know? So it's good for everybody. And it doesn't just apply to radios and stuff like that. It applies to, you know somebody's food blender, you know, <laughs> little things like that. You know, if they haven't got the money for it or, you know, it's very sentimental. I had someone bring in an old, old food mixer, which is probably 19, early 1970s, late 1960s, being given to them by their mother, and they really wanted it fixed because it was a part of their life, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, and so there is, there is a sentimental and emotional aspect uh, that yeah. you just uh, talked about, Dave. But there is also another aspect uh, where planned obsolescence and breakage are, are an issue, is if you have a cognitive disability and uh, learning the interface and how to use a device yeah. uh, can be a lengthy process in itself. Uh, when you get familiar with the device and, uh, and can fully use it, then if it suddenly breaks and you have to change uh, because the device is not made anymore or... Uh, or, or, or you can find parts or whatever, yeah. uh, then you have to go again through the whole learning process uh, and which could affect, I mean, which, which does affect people with cognitive disability much more uh, than, uh, than other people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's interesting that kind of idea of, um, you know, the, the hardware we use and the software we use being definitely made for a certain type of user. And um, I know there was some interesting talks over the weekend uh, researcher Beth, Becky Faith talking about digital inclusion and the usage of mobile phones by homeless women, for example. So, I mean, if you're a young homeless woman and your phone is running out of battery every four hours and you don't have a place to charge it, that's going to make life a lot more difficult for you than, than for someone with kind of continuous access to a charging portal. So I think, yeah, that's another good example that you've raised, Panda, about, about the ways in which technologies definitely don't 
affect us all equally all the time. Um, we're going to go to a short break in a minute, but I just wanted to mention uh, some recent tech news, which we found <laughs> out about, uh, which is that the Windows phone is going to be not made, well, discontinued. What do you both think about this? Um, well, Windows Phone was always going to be a bit of a risky thing for Microsoft. And I suppose full marks to them for trying, but it got squeezed out by the two big competitors, iOS and Android. And whether you like Windows or not, it's bad for the diversity of the ecosystem. We've talked about this before, but if you only have one product or two products and one of those has a bug in it, you know, some serious security flaw or something like that, then it means everybody has it to some extent. Also, iOS and Android, to some extent, share some common ancestry in the way they were coded. So it's possible they will get bugs in common as well. So Windows Phone was good for the environment, if you like, the ecosystem of electronic devices. So it's a sad thing that it's died. On the other hand, commercially speaking, they've admitted they weren't there weren't enough users. Mm. Simple as that. Panza, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I support what they've said. I mean, it's also uh, kind of an interesting history on uh, on Windows Phone, which were uh, uh, never successful really, and then so Microsoft uh, uh, bought Nokia uh, after kind of Nokia was in difficulty, effectively in large part due to Android and uh, and iOS. Uh, when Nokia, uh, with uh, uh, other partners through Symbian OS, uh, was leading in uh, um, was leading the market in smartphone. Mm -hmm. uh, so now now it's forgotten, but that's also kind of a part of history which is all gone. And effectively, did so did the hardware uh, that Microsoft used for the uh, Windows Phone, and before integrating it completely in Microsoft, and now all that is gone, which I think it weren't used by that many people. But the, the competition aspect is important. Yeah. You're listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Lauren from the Restart Project, and I'm here with Restart volunteers Panda and Dave. And it's World Mental Health Day, so we're talking about how repair events can make our communities more cohesive by involving people who might otherwise feel isolated. Uh, in the first half, we talked a bit about how circumstances in repair events can be shaped to include neurodivergent minorities and people with mental health issues. Um, and we're going to talk now a bit about repair itself as an activity that can potentially have some therapeutic qualities. And just to reiterate, we're not suggesting that fixing something should stand in as a substitute for seeking professional help or making any claims about the clinical benefits of it. But um, I think repairing something and the sort of state of mind that puts you in is something that you both have a lot of experience with. I mean, can you sort of briefly ex describe what the feeling of repairing something is to you or what it means to you? It's a it's a discussion. I mean, in in research parties, I mean, we we don't just fix devices. We help people fix their own devices. So it's a bit different than just uh, fixing the device itself. So it's it ended up being really a conversation between three parties. Uh, there is the fixer, the person who brought the device, who is part fixer as well, and the device uh, uh, itself as well. The, there is a conversation between the fix and the device. Um, this is particularly true in the 
in the diagnosis phase of you know what is the problem uh, where there is a there is a part a uh, kind of integral part of uh, of uh, hypothesizing and thinking what could be the problems and then sort of interacting with the device uh, to see how the device reacts and whether the uh, the hypothesis might be correct or uh, or false uh, and progressing from there from there on uh, with of course often opening the device and so on so there, there is a relationship aspect uh, between objects and people uh, also it and I think that uh, uh, um, many neurodivergent person and possibly also some people with mental health issues um, it can be much more persistent than uh, than the average repair <laughs> and, uh, and so within the constraint of the uh, uh, that the restart parties are only a few hours longer uh, and we usually have to see a few uh, <laughs> a few devices because people are queuing uh, it's there is a persistence which is uh, um, which is good uh, because it's kind of it gives kind of a flow state where you're really into the fix and uh, I don't really notice, you know, what's happening on the other tables outside. Uh, so that's one aspect. And another, I think, positive aspect is if you so experience the world in a different way, uh, um, your brain is the world differently, then you come up with different solutions that other restarters uh, might not come up with. Yeah. So having this diversity uh, in the room is helpful uh, for the fixes as well. Yeah, that's a really good example of how, I mean, how diversity can be really positive in, in that kind of situation, well, in all situations. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And um, Dave, what about you? How, how do you find the experience of teach either teaching repair or repairing something yourself? Both. Very interesting. Um, in terms of repairing, yeah, what, what Panda said, you do get into a flow state or in the zone, as some people call it. You know, I would liken it to meditation, um, one of my favourite topics. <laughs> so... When you're intensely focused on something, and it's also very usually once you've diagnosed it, it's a very specific task. So you're focused on this one thing and very intensely focused, sometimes, as Panda said, to the exclusion of all else. You know, you won't notice what else is happening. Somebody could be standing right over you, you know, leaning right over you watching, and you won't realize until you turn around after you've finished. So there's that part of it. And also, in terms of the interaction, it's really nice when somebody comes in with something and maybe they don't know much about it and you can talk to them about the history of the device, mm. you know, their personal history with it. And you can say, maybe you know a little bit about the manufacturer, where it came from. Um, this is especially true with vintage devices where you open them up and say, hey, look, this was actually made in England, you know, mm. or something like that. So you can have a really fun conversation. And you can also reach levels of interaction to do with well what part you know okay you've got a radio cassette recorder which is most important do you want the radio working or the cassette working and so on so you can help them make these decisions about what do they want to do and even if you can't fix it you know you've had a really interesting conversation you know the, talk to them about obsolescence talk to them about how it might be repaired what if they want to buy a new one what should they do should they buy one second hand all yeah. that uh, yeah, and the, the interaction uh, goes further than, it can go further than just about the parts oh, and yeah. the device itself. 
in uh, uh, if someone has a disability uh, then the, then you can contribute you know together I mean, yep. for instance there was one research party where when someone had uh, had their hands so moist that they didn't get a grip you know on screwdriver even on the anticipatory part mm. so then you know you open the device for them and and sit you know contribute so whether you know that was physical issues or or caused by uh, by some side effect of some medicines whatever mm -hmm. but uh, having having uh, the device owner and the restarter as well a little collaboration that allows to go around and contribute to whatever limitation one of the person might have mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's kind of interesting i mean you mentioned this conversation between the the te well the restarter and then the person who's brought a device but i've also heard people talk about the experience of repair a bit like a conversation with the device itself and I mean it's kind of I personally don't know that much about actual repair I haven't done much electronic repair myself but um, in terms of that kind of experience of engaging with something physically and problem solving in a way that's very very hands-on I mean I do a bit of wood carving at home that's sort of my equivalent I guess and mm -hmm. I find it kind of puts me into a, well, a bit of a mental state that's really meditative like you said yep. and kind of unlike anything else I tend to do with my day-to-day -day life and um, I mean I'm just wondering like what you both think of that concept the idea of sort of communicating with an object well um, there's yes definitely that's part of the meditative state and also I suppose if you want to be philosophical you're communicating with the mind of the designer mm. you know you're actually you're not working with a dead piece of metal. You're working with something which was created by someone else. So to some extent, there's an interesting thing, which is you are trying to get yourself, in, whether you know it or not, into the mind of the designer because you are having to follow through the logic of how this device is put together, how it works, you know, what, are, what components were used, and how the whole thing fits together. And also you're going beyond that into how does it fail, how does it break. So, yes, you are having a conversation with... If you like the ghost of the designer who's still in it, you're having a conversation with the physic physicality of the device and with all of that device represents. Oh, that's uh, a lot of conversation. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I fully agree, and I would go even further than that. I mean, w when you say dead piece of metal, I mean, it's uh, it's not a dead piece of metal yeah, in the sense that what kind of metal, uh, uh, where did it come from, uh, uh, all the mining uh, that probably happened to make the metal, mm. if it's metal, because of course other, <laughs> other products than, than metal. Uh, um, what's the welfare of the people that uh, that did the mining and so on. So, mm -hmm. um, and of course the issue of scale, which is related to that. Uh, so it it goes yeah much it can go much further than that yeah. but th there is yeah very much I find a con an interaction um, whether it's conversational but it definitely interaction between the device and uh, and the repair mm. and this has kind of been a popular topic I mean there's a book that's come out fairly recently by Matthew Crawford called the case for working with your hands or why office bat why office work is bad for us and fixing things feels good <laughs> and that was published in 2010 and Dave you said that was an inspiration for you to some degree in yeah. getting involved with yeah um, I didn't read the book but it was actually summarized in a New York Times article quite a mm -hmm. while ago and yeah that was I did find inspiring because one of the things he says quite bluntly is that psychologically working with your hands and your brain is better than working with just your brain in other words, people that do what I do in my day job, which is sitting behind a keyboard on a screen, do not have such happy, fulfilled lives as people who do things like, for instance, the author is a motorbike mechanic now, having been a, a researcher for a large 
uh, consultancy outfit in the States, he went to being a motorcycle mechanic and he's a lot happier doing that. Mm. So you could argue that some of that is about he likes motorcycles. You know, so to some extent he's probably fulfilling one of his desires in working with his favourite machinery. But I think there is a point that, as you said about woodwork, you know, you carve wood, right? Mm. Now, and you probably find that very satisfying both mentally in terms of how do you actually do it, even if you have a design and everything else, the actual mental steps that you go through, the mental processes, are more are different to those you go through if you're just typing stuff at a keyboard. Yeah, that's true. And um, it's it's interesting that, that he kind of talks about motorcycle repair because that was mm. also the topic of another quite influential book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which is maybe a bit more famous. And that was from 1974 by Robert Persig. And um, he kind of talks about this philosophical idea of quality um, and how that comes through in in yeah the act of maintaining motorcycle. Uh, and he also talks about kind of becoming friends with the motorcycle. So in the in the act of caring for it, you sort of I don't know. I mean, yeah, welcome it into your social sphere in a way, I guess. <laughs> and Panda, some of those ideas resonated a bit more with you, didn't, didn't yeah. they? We read some extracts, yeah. Yeah, they do, as well as the um, when you bridge just kind of reason and intuition. Yeah. Um, you know, whether repair scientific or not, and they, it, it's uh, there is very much uh, uh, there is very much a connection. Uh, both, I mean, in fact, sort of repair, but also when an object is repaired, then there is often an emotional co connection for the person who repaired it, you know, that, that helps devices uh, to be kept longer uh, mm -hmm. if they're repaired. Um, and you can see that probably, I mean, uh, historically, uh, quite strongly in, uh, in the Japanese culture, uh, where, you know, they repair ceramics using gold paint and the, uh, or gold glue, I mean, I think, and the repaired object has more value than the, uh, uh, than the non-repaired, than the unbroken object. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so, uh, and... And I reject effectively a bit kind of the 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 duality of uh, of uh, uh, manual work better than uh, than uh, non-manual work or intellectual work. Mm. I think it's uh, the two go hand, hand in hand, <laughs> 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 no <Very> pun intended, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, together. Uh, that you uh, you know, as I was so talking about earlier, that you, you really first kind of think about how you use intuition intuition to try to figure out you know what's could be the issue, uh, and then sort of reason, uh, you know, how to test that, and uh, uh, so which is somewhat quite intellectual, but then you use your hands to, you know, to 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 put that into practice and check whether mm -hmm. it's correct or not, and the fixing. So it's part manual, part intellectual, and that's true both for uh, electronics uh, as we deal with, as for motorcycle very much. Mm -hmm. So uh, so yeah. I, so I don't I don't see this discontinuity between the two. I think the two. Are Goes to, goes to go together. Yeah, I think that's a convincing mm -hmm. argument. Um, and I guess, yeah, another another aspect of this um, this sort of you know the process of repair being being really kind of fulfilling is the idea of at the end of the repair, has it been a success or has it been a failure? And that maybe is kind of more difficult because there is a degree to which if we don't succeed in this thing we've spent three hours on, maybe there is you know you could feel some sort of well. I don't know, disappointment in yourself or in the object. But um, there was a moment from the restart party that was held at the Museum of London this weekend at the end of Fix Fest, which sort of kind of disproved that in a way, which was a woman came in with an old radio. Like you said, Dave, it kind of tends to be radios a lot of the time. It's something that people have a really mm -hmm. strong emotional connection with. 
And she brought in this radio and loads of people were gathered around the radio helping her fix it. And they spent hours on this object apparently and didn't get it working in the end. You know, it didn't turn on, but she still left in like such high spirits. Just she was thrilled that kind of like this thing got so much attention, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then just before we go, Dave, you had some quick things to share with us about upcoming oh, events. Yes, upcoming events. Um, firstly, Hackney Fixers are doing another of our Restart Party Plus events at the Homerton Library on Saturday 28th of October. Um, that's going to be a restart party for electrics and electronics and a clothing repair event with our f- friends at uh, the wonderful charity Trade. So pop along there if you want your clothes or your electrics and electronics fixed. Another little thing that I'm doing, quick plug this weekend, um, the Cross Arts Project are doing an installation and performance arts piece in Tanner Street called Virtuality Mortality. Please look that up online if you're interested. And we'll be doing a repair clinic as part of that. Great. And then one last announcement, which is the 21st of October is the first International Day of Repair, which is going to be held on the third Saturday of every month, uh, yeah. of every October, every year. So um, head to Leightonstone for that because there'll be a repair cafe happening there. And you can find more details on our website. Thank you. Bye.